Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. I'm excited for what God is up to. Anyone else? It's been a fun year. It's been a great year. Um, today, we are continuing in our DNA series, who we are, how God has wired us, what God has built us for, as Christians, as a church, and even as a denomination. Um, it was a big deal when we decided to go part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. We really wanted to know their theology and their philosophy of ministry. And when we saw all these things, we really prayed into them about what God was going to do. And one of the things that we had talked about as a staff is the importance of parenting. Do I get an amen? right? I will say this. I was terrified to be a parent. Anyone ever terrified to be a parent? A couple of you, all right? I know many of you were probably excited, but I'll be very honest with you. When I met Sue, she was the child of a widow, and she's like, I want 400 kids. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, wrong man. But I was so overwhelmed by her beauty that I was just like, as many as you want. But honestly, it was one of those moments where I was terrified. I was terrified to be a parent. And I really came to a place. I really came to a place, and I'll never forget. It was when my kids were all about probably seven years old and younger, where I had a divine moment where God healed my childhood wounds. And in that I found a new joy for wanting to parent. And I really believe that when I look at my children, that they're the best part of my life. They're the best part of my life. At the end of the day, there will be another pastor at the plant. At the end of the day, my life will pass away. And at the end of the day, the ones who are going to know me and love me and value me most is my tribe. They're my tribe. They're my tribe above anyone or anything. And the only thing that I love more than than my tribe is my God. And I've had this privilege of journeying about what does it mean to be a gospel parent? What does it mean? And what I want to do today is this. I want us to stop and think about parenting in the new light I want to be able to stop and say, how are we moving forward? Whether you have little kids, whether your kids are grown up, no matter what your situation is, how do you now parent in a way that's a gospel reflection? You just walked in. My shoes are glowing. So thank you. I know. But I want us to be able to stop and really think about this. Moving forward, no matter how you've parented up to today, How are you going to move forward as a gospel-centered parent? This is not to be guilt. This is not to be shame. You are not supposed to walk away feeling frustrated. This is supposed to be a motivation for what God has next. So open hearts, open hands. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to do your best. Do your best. Do your best. In Jesus' name, amen. One of, the, one of the leadership sayings I've been saying to myself is, I'm, not, I'm responsible to people. I'm not responsible for how they will respond. And it's the same thing with parenting. 
We are responsible to raise our children in the things of God, but we are not responsible for how they will respond. Do I get an amen for that? Right? We are not responsible for how they will respond, but we are responsible to give them every opportunity to hear, to speak, and to see the gospel in our lives. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to learn from probably two parents that had the toughest job in the world. Imagine being the parents of Jesus, right? Like he must have been the easiest kid. Come on, he's a kid, right? He's a kid. Jesus was a child, fully child, fully God. But imagine the weight that they had when they knew they had a calling to raise this child to be the sacrifice for the world. And you have a responsibility to raise your child or children to be able to know who they are as sons and daughters of God and to live in their calling for why God created them. Amen? So let's learn from Joseph and Mary. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, this is very, very significant, they attended the festival as usual. So, right away, what we see is that Joseph and Mary were going to Jerusalem to celebrate a high, holy holiday as usual. You hear what I'm saying, parents? In other words, they practiced the holy celebrations. And there was this age that Joseph was at. 12-year-old. Any 12-year-olds in here? Right? No? Okay, junior hires, right? That's what junior high is. 12 years old. And so Jesus would have been going to Ramapo Ridge Middle School. And so he was a middle schooler. And this was an age of accountability. This was the, the bat mitzvah, the bar mitzvah. Growing up in Allendale, I had so many Jewish friends. And we used to go to these massive parties, and they weren't even for birthdays. They were for high, holy celebrations. So he would have already been bar mitzvahed. He would have already been, had this, this age of accountability. And they were all there together. Now, let's see what happens. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at all because they assumed he was among the other travelers. So I remember this. Back in the day, our church, where, where I grew up, a uh, bunch of families. It was like family. It really was like family. It was like everyone was aunt and uncle. It was, it was a beautiful image of what the family of God should be. Uh, I remember even these, these men speaking into my life as a junior hire. We would all go down the Wildwood Crest and we'd stay at the Viking Hotel. Right now, never stay at the Viking. Back in the day, it was a pretty cool place, but it's not really cool anymore. It's like, yes, we'll stop right there. But I remember when we became junior hires, the summer before sixth grade, our parents would release us to Wildwood. And it was the only time that we were allowed to not be near our parents when we, we hit that age of accountability. Because our parents believed like, well, they may, may, they may make some right decisions. You notice how I'm saying that? They may make some right decisions. 
But we would go. We would go on Wet and Wild, all the different water slides, uh, Maury's Pier. You remember all these like, names popping up, right? Played all the games. They would give us like 20 bucks, and they're just like, just don't die. Just don't die. Whatever you do, just don't die and get home. And, and so that's what we did. And so it's kind of like, like Joseph and Mary. They released Jesus to Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, it was like, okay, something happened. He didn't show up on time. Remember that first time that he didn't show up on time as a junior hire? Like your parents were going to what you? Just say it. It begins with a K. They were going to kill you, right? Right? Back then, parents could say that. You can't say that now. So, because they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. How cool is that? So they would go from Nazareth to Jerusalem in a caravan of like-minded people, missional communities. Anyone getting a little bit of why we do what we do? When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Imagine being the parents of the Messiah. Oh God, we lost him. Wait, hope you didn't hear that. Right? Like seriously, like, oh, we're dead. God's we're going to really kill us. Like we, we lost him. All who heard him, um, <laughs> that was bad. Sitting among the, re- <laughs> three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Come on, mommies, right? Do I get an amen? Your father, blame the father. And I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Now, he hung out. He hung back, and he was so enamored with with the teachings and the conversation that he got caught up in the moment. It would almost be like your kid getting caught up in a worship service, and next thing you know it, he's in the front at the altar with Paul Lee. How mad can you get at him, right? Seriously. But they were frantic. They were scared. They were concerned. He was gone for three days. And so you see this. Now, now, why am I using this? Because there is a responsibility to having children. And if you have a child, you have a responsibility to do what Joseph and Mary were doing minus losing your child. <laughs> but the truth is, is that there's so much right here in this passage that I want us to walk away from. And because you're here, you're saying, I want to engage. Now, I know this is the last Saturday of soccer, so a lot of parents are kind of getting that final game because the rained out games, the crazy coaches, all you know, they're all kind of forcing it in because next week is November and they're not allowed to play, which is sad because last week was really supposed to be the last week. But for some reason, our culture just kind of keeps pushing the envelope to not allowing our children to engage with the things of God. But there's something bigger. You have the decision 
whether or not your children will engage in the things of God or not. Your coach doesn't drive it. You drive it. You're the one driving the ship. You see, here's what it says in Proverbs. You see, when we read Scripture, for those who have been let down by Scripture, we love to call the Bible principles. But for those who have seen the Bible come to fruition, they say, the Bible is a bunch of promises. I will say this. The Bible is a bunch of promises. The dilemma is they're promises when we sit in God's timing. When we sit in God's timing. And too often what we do is we walk away from God's timing so we only live in principles rather than promises. You see, principles are things that we should do hoping for the right outcome. Promises are saying these things will happen. You see, Joseph was promised to be like a king. Not a king, but like a king. But it was the promise that had to come fulfilled over 20-something years later. Moses was promised to get the Israelites to the promised land. It took 40 years. How long are you willing to sit in the promises of God? And this is what it says. Direct your children, Proverbs 22, 6, onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. They will not depart. Another translation says, and they will return. In other words, what we see in this proverb is that as parents, when we allow our children to adopt the things that we value most, those are the things that our children value also. And at some point, at some point, and this is such a great feeling as a parent, your kids will say, you were right. <laughs> so, I don't need to tell names, but I have four kids, all went to college. I told my one kid, I said, these two things are going to happen right away. No, they won't. No, they won't. No, they won't. Well, within the first three weeks, he said, wow, you were right. Really, Sherlock? I've been to college. I get it. And I was trying to help him, prepare him. But what I want to share with you are, are, are four movements of gospel parenting. Gospel parenting. You see, here's the reality. Whatever happens to this church, praise God. Put, put the picture of my children back up. I can give my life to all of you over and above. But if I don't give my life to my children first, I miss the point of parenting. You hear what I'm saying? Do you know that for a minister... We all know what pastor kids are like. Do I get an amen for that? Right? Come on. Right? You want to know? You want to talk about missionary kids? Wow. They're a whole nother genre. Right? But here's the reality. Each one of you, each one of you, Joel, you own a business. You and Janet have a responsibility, have had a responsibility. Right? I look around the room. We're all in different situations. Right? That we have a responsibility. And I just want to walk through these movements so that you get the best opportunity for your children to one day embrace the things of God. Direct your children unto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Number one, you have primary responsibilities. You have two primary responsibilities. The first is to grow your child up to be a good human being. Do I get an amen? amen. No, seriously. Right? 
not being rude, showing up, being nice, being compassionate, right? Saying hello, saying goodbye, treating adults with respect, right? Think about Joseph. What did Jesus do for 30 years? He was a carpenter, right? Right away, he got him into his woodworking shop. As a matter of fact, he would also would have been worked with stone. So he would have been carving stone. He would have been carving wood. And at a young age, Joseph's number one responsibility was make this kid a good human being. Give him a craft. Give him a tool. Teach him how to, how to just be amongst other individuals. What's happened in our world? So many kids don't even know how to be normal human beings. Seriously. That's a primary aspect and we see that, teaching them, what does it mean to have character? What does it mean to have integrity? That your yes is yes and your no is no. That's primary responsibility one. And they see that right away. They know when daddy says yes and when he really means no. And when you say sure, sure means no. Sure is an automatic no. So when your kids hear sure, it means no. Talked about practical biblical theology 101. Sure means no. But two, there's a second primary responsibility. To allow them to know their identity as sons and daughters of God. Do you realize that was Joseph's and, and Mary's responsibility? To help Jesus understand that, that he is the son of God. And now because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross and through the grave, that our children can live and move and be living in their identity as sons and daughters of God. Robbie, you are a son of God. And don't let your school or the people around you tell you anything else. You are a son of God. And you will grow into be a young man of God. And then another day you will be a man of God. That's a primary responsibility that we as parents have. Second, predictable patterns. I, I love this passage of scripture because in this one passage of scripture, we see so much. They went to Jerusalem as usual, as usual. So in other words, there were predictable patterns that Joseph and Mary, they practiced. They went to synagogue weekly. They gathered with other people of the faith on a weekly, regular basis. And during high, holy holidays, they all traveled, traveled to Jerusalem to worship God. I mean, think about predictable patterns now. People can't even get to Christmas and Easter. And then they come to me and say, my kids are falling apart. They're falling apart because you fell apart spiritually first. What are your predictable patterns? I know as a parent, I had decisions to make. We had decisions to make. I remember when my daughter started throwing for softball. She was a pitcher. She was amazing. She was really one of the best in the league. She used to pitch, and the ump would go, wow. He would step away from the batter's box. Wow. Wow. And I would just sit there crying, because you know I cry all the time. <laughs> Keep going, honey bun. Keep going. My daughter's like, she's like, I'm 18. Stop calling me honey bun. But there came a point where travel leagues called her up. Everyone wanted to. And we had a decision. We had, we had predictable patterns. And I finally said, you want my daughter to play for you? You sit in the back row. 
Huh? Yeah, come to service and sit in the back row. And they would sit in the back row and they would go like this to me the whole time. <laughs> but my kids knew. Yes, youth group. Yes, the plant kids. We've had major fights in the Parker house going to youth group. Do I get an amen? Right? We've had major fights. But we had to set in motion predictable patterns so that our kids one day, when all hell hits the fan, on Christ the solid rock, they will one day learn to stand. Because the rest of this world is sinking sand. And yes, it was a fight. But we had to make predictable patterns. My kids would come in their softball uniforms, their basketball uniforms, everything, and they'd just be running around. I don't care what people thought, think about what they wear or how they look or how long their hair is or how many tattoos they have or how many earrings they have. All I care about is them loving Jesus. Amen. What are your predictable patterns? Because Joseph and Mary had predictable patterns. They went to synagogue every week. They went to Jerusalem about seven to ten times a year, and they met with other people of the faith. Third, have a kingdom perspective. Have a kingdom perspective. The lens in which we see the world is the same prescription that our children see through it too. The lens in which we see the world is the same prescription that they see through it too. I had a father who was a businessman, and I was a prodigal of all prodigals. When everyone's like, did you, let me tell you what I did in my life. I won't even tell you what I did in my life. My dad was a businessman, and he had a kingdom perspective. And I remember one time when I was 12 years old, he's like, hey, I just want to talk to you about some stuff. And he sat me down, and he said, let me talk to you about finances. I'm like, okay, I just wanted to get, get some ice cream in town. He's like, no, no, let's talk about finances. He said, this is how I handle my finances. And he said, this is what I give to the church. This is what I give to, to missionaries. Whenever one, and when anyone is ever in need of help, I give this much, but I never ask for it in return. Now go play. I'm like, all right, cool, thanks. But, but there, was, there was a perspective. My dad, when he used to travel a lot overseas, he would, he would go to different countries, Hong Kong and, and Europe, and, and just some far-off regions of the world. And I never knew this until I was in my 30s. He would, at, at times, he wouldn't go to dinner events when there wasn't a dinner event, and he would find missionaries from his denomination and take them out to dinner just to encourage them. Pretty cool. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a missionary. That was his kingdom perspective. And whether I liked his perspective or not, don't you think that kind of like got into my soul? What's your perspective? The things you value is what you talk about, what you think about, how you spend your time, and how you spend your money. Those are the things you value. Do you value the things of God? Do you, value, do you really value that you want your children to run after Jesus? Do you truly value that you want to spend eternity in heaven with them? Right? That's a big deal. You see, the Jewish community is a beautiful community. And the sad thing is, is that we've, run, we've ran away from what the Jewish community really set in motion. The Jewish community is one of the most powerful communities in all the world. Do you know that? The Jewish community, their number one goal is that their children would know Yahweh. 
Yep, that's their number one thing. That's the number one thing. And here we are. Our Messiah is Jewish. And yet we've missed adopting the importance of that. So, I'm telling you these things because children have stages of growth. Do you realize that? We have little Alora, zero to two, sensory motor. The only thing that she can understand is the immediate right now. Sensory motor. If we don't see her for a few days, at first she gets a little bit shocked and then she warms up. But when we see her every day, next thing you know, she, she's climbing on Pops. She wants to smile at Pops right away. She wants to be with Mimi. But it's the immediate zero to two, right? So you come to church and you're bringing your little ones to church. They start understanding who these other individuals are. And these other individuals have significant roles in their life. Next, two to seven, pre-operational stage. They develop memory and imagination, difference between past and future, and engage in make-believe. Yes, make-believe friends. They start envisioning, how many of you saw little AJ today? He was dressed like Superman, right? That dude wanted to fly. Now, imagine, he's in the plant kids, and they're learning about David and Goliath. And he's saying, wow, could I take out a giant? Oh, yeah. Yes, you can. God is preparing you. You need to start allowing your children to envision the way that God used David and Daniel and all these other individuals, Sarah and Deborah, all these people in Scripture saying, yes, God is preparing you, not with an imagination, but having the ability to see beyond yourself that God can do immeasurably more than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. And it begins now begins now. I remember being a little kid with a felt board. Remember that? Remember that? Right? I remember it. I remember that. I envision it right now. Next stage, concrete operational, 7 to 11. They demonstrate logic, concrete reasoning. They start getting it. Wow. Really? I just heard about a parent talking to their child, and their child talking about just what the gospel really is, who Jesus is, that, that he actually died on the cross. I remember, I, I remember uh, one of the little Weiss girls, she was sharing her faith at the age of seven on the playground because they, she wanted her friends to know the things of God. She got it. It was logical. And so she brought her friends over to their house for like a Bible study at like seven or eight years old. And what about this? Formal operational, age 12 plus. They can think about multiple variable, variables in systematic ways, formulate a hypothesis, and consider possibilities. Think about Jesus, 12 years old. He already had logic. Now he was trying to piece the things together. And at 12 years old, he was sitting with the religious leaders, really brainstorming and thinking through the things of God. We want our kids to be able to go through all these different stages with other things in life. And yet when we don't allow the things of God to be those things primary, primary one, they miss out on the spiritual development that they are supposed to go through. Now, if you, grow, if you did not grow up in the faith, 
then you're kind of starting in a different place and you're learning it different. And trust is harder and faith is harder and believing that God part sees is harder. But when you are a little kid, it makes complete sense. Do I get an amen? amen? Seriously, if you didn't grow up in the faith and you're saying like, Jesus raised people from the dead? Well, he raised them from the dead because he was raised first. That's not true. That's not the gospel. Jesus raised three people from the dead before he was ever risen from the grave. And so when your kids, I wish these kind of went on and off when I ran. <laughs> when your kids are reading about the first person who was ever risen from the grave, it was so different. Because what he, they could say is, but I thought Jesus was raised first. So you're telling me Jesus raised people from the grave before he was ever risen from the grave? Yes, that was the power of God. And if you go back to Ezekiel, guess what? Guess what? You see, there's something that we pour into our children. But I'm going to say this. There's a war for your children's heart. There's a war for your children's heart. There's a war for your children's heart. And I love what St. Saint Thomas Aquinas had coined it. He coined three different phrases, three different, at the meeting at Trent, three different things. He said, this is, this is what's at war for you at the Council of Trent. First, the world, the world, indifferences and those that are in opposition to God's design, the world. Yes, the Bible talks about the world, not as these bad people, but about the systems of the world, right? The world. Our culture is against our children, right? Our world is against our children. Our culture is against our children. And it's literally right now, it's almost like a Jedi mind trick. How many of you are Star Wars fans out there? Any Star Wars fans? Remember when he's like, you know, let us in. You're allowed in. Remember that? When, when, when Luke wanted to go see Jabba the Hutt? Let us in. You can go in. And, and that's really what the world is. Some of the most intellectual people on the face of the earth are literally, literally questioning God's design. The difference between a man and a woman. I'm sorry, I'm about to offend you. But I see in scripture, God made man and male and female, and he created them perfectly. And when my girl is strong, I'm not saying go be a guy. I'm saying you go get them, lioness. You go rip their heads off. God created you female, and you embrace that female being. But for some reason, there's a lie going on right now. Hmm, people are a little quiet out there. It's true. It's true talking about identity and, and sexual identity. Well, honestly, all the counseling I've done for 25 years, and I've seen all that's gone on in this world, that there is a danger that when we allow culture to speak louder than the things of God. Second, St. Thomas says the flesh, the inner self. Look what, look what King David said. He says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. You see, David was a pretty amazing man. He had like one bad season in his whole life. When you really study the life of King David and when he was older and he made some really poor decisions that led from one thing to another, he said, wow, Psalm 51, this is my psalm of repentance. He says, wow, I was born into a broken world. I mean, think about what Paul says. And can everyone agree the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do do? Anyone do that this week? Thank you for the few honest people. 
It's true. We have a pull. Our nature is to pull us away from the things of God because we were born sinful and broken. And that's the reality. We weren't created to be perfect. But then there's a third, the devil. Entity of evil. A real personal enemy. A fallen angel. Father of lies who labors to relentlessly malice and manipulate each one of us. To cause malice and manipulate each one of us. Jesus says, I've come that you would have life to the full. He's come to seek, kill, and destroy you. Steal the hope of God's future for your children. Kill any good thing that God wants to do and destroy your family structure. That's what Satan wants to do. And he's a real entity. You want to know how I know? Because I've dealt with him in my own life. You want to know how I know? Is that after I've helped people deal with their inner self, as I've helped with people what's going on in culture, yes, I've had to cast out demons out of people. Because there were entities driving their behavior, driving their belief systems. And there is a war for our children's soul. Whether we want to believe it or not, this is the truth. And the church is so wimpy right now. So wimpy. They're afraid to say anything. I want my kids to know truth so they can make the right decision at the right time. Yes, I have hard conversations with my children that my children do not like. Seriously. Seriously. Things that you'd be like, you talk to your kids about that stuff? Oh, yeah, I do. Why? Because it's my responsibility to inform them, and they are responsible for how they will respond. Never talk to your kids about drugs. You want to bet? You ever talk to your kids about sex? Of course I do. What about drinking? What about doing all this stuff? Of course I do. Because my kids are just like your kids, and my kids are product of me. How scary is that? <laughs> Seriously. When my children turn five years old, my boys, I take them to Crestwood Lake, I buy them a bagel, Taylor ham, egg and cheese, and we talk about sex. Fifth grade. Fifth grade, sorry. I meant fifth grade. Fifth grade. Thank you. My shoes were blinding me. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. Okay, let me correct myself. Fifth grade. I love you. Fifth grade. I take my boys to Crestwood. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. Started in fifth grade. And I do one-on-one. And then when they get to high school, I do 201. And then high school, 301. And then high school, 401. And then high school, 501. But I walk them through. And I challenge them. I challenge them. Hey, man, you're going to make a lot of decisions in your life, but I want to celebrate events in your life. True narrative. I'm going to challenge you not to have your first beer until you're 21 so you can have your first drink with dad. They may not all do it, but I'll tell you one time, my son said, snowstorm's coming. You promised me. I'm 21. Get up here. Snow's coming down. I'm driving to Connecticut. I'm going to die over a beer. <laughs> we show up. I probably shouldn't be talking like this, but I'm being a daddy, right? Just be, be honest. And I met him. And at 21, we toasted. And I said, now you can learn to drink responsibly. 
How great is that? How great is that? Now, will all my other boys do that? That's their decision. But again, I set a standard. And if they mess up, I don't send them to hell. I keep the conversation alive. But I love this passage because it talks about a family on mission. It wasn't just Joseph and Mary doing it by themselves. It was a caravan of people, family members. Angie, hi. That's my sister-in-law. We love you. My church family, hi. We love you. We are here to partner together. When my boys turned a certain age, I had 12 men write letters to my boys, encouraging them. And you know what those daddies did after I did that? You know what they did? They grabbed 12 more men to get their friends to write letters for their son as well. You see, we, we help each other parents. Two weeks ago, my, my friend's son was just on my heart. I texted him. I said, hey, resend me his number. And I texted him. And his son just kind of downloaded on me. He said, hey, buddy, I'm praying for you. If you need anything, Mr. Parker's here for you. We have that opportunity to be a family on mission together. Kyle Mack comes to me when he was in college. I was actually sick as a dog on a Sunday morning. Sue comes home. She's like, Kyle's living with us. I'm like, what just happened? She says, he's supposed to live with us. Kyle got to speak into my children's life for six months. Why? We're a family on mission. We're a family on mission. And now, in a weird way, I'm going to get to play a role in their children's life. Right? We are a family on mission. We see that in Scripture. And so, four key aspects of gospel parenting. Does anyone feel guilt or shame in here right now? You should not. I didn't tell you what you weren't supposed to do or how you shouldn't do it, right? I want to encourage you. I want you to encourage you. If you're feeling a nudge, you're thinking like, oh, I should have done that like 20 years ago. It's okay. God is bigger than you. Amen? Right? God is bigger than your right now. And whatever you do moving forward, God sees it. And it says that he gives back the years that the locust has stolen do you know that? Four aspects. One, parental responsibilities. You are responsible to create good human beings Amen. and to lead them in the ways of Jesus. Two, predictable patterns. Who cares what the world tells you? Create your own patterns. If your kid's good enough, they'll sit in the back. You were supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> right? If your kids, like if your kids are really thriving, they're going to make ways for your children, right? We did it all. Dance, you name it. We were dance parents. We did it all. But not at the expense of the gospel. And it's not because I'm a minister. Three, having a kingdom perspective. The lens in which you look through things is the very same lens that they will see, thing, see things. Watch, watch. And fourth, be a family on mission. We are responsible to raise our children. We are not responsible for how they will respond. But the promise is they will return. Amen? Amen? So, interesting thing. I'm going to end with this. Listen to what Jesus said. I love this. He says in Matthew 18, so, so he's in his 30s now. He's in his 30s. Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child, it is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
Who taught him holy humility? Joseph. Think about that. But then it says, Jesus also says, and have faith like a child. What are your children having faith in? You see, Jesus as a child understood faith like a child. David and Goliath. Jesus knew about Daniel. He would have been taught time and time again. Esther. All these different people. He knew, and as a child, he actually grew into his identity as the son of God. If you are not giving your children faith, understanding what faith actually is, and the narratives of faith, what faith are they standing on? What faith are they standing on? I said this in the beginning. I was terrified of being a parent. I actually don't even have full permission to tell the whole narrative of, of how this came about. She was like, don't you ever tell that story. Because there's some words in there that aren't very nice. But I came to a point that I said, God, I'm giving you my children. And I am just responsible to them, not for them. It was a Wednesday morning. And my wife spoke parental life over me. She says, she said, you're going to raise them right. You're going to raise them right. I said, you're right. You're right. I'm responsible to give them the things of God. I'm not responsible for how they will respond. Whether you are a parent or want to be a parent or you play a parental role, God has called you to bring the gospel to every single young person that stands before you. And that's what you're accountable for. Yes, I will be accountable for how I led this church. But the biggest accountability is my tribe, Team Parker. Amen? Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, I ask you for a fresh work. God, this is a fun teaching. God, this is, this is just what you're doing. I, I ask you for a fresh work this morning. I ask you out of those four things that, that one would really stick strong. Really stick strong whether it's beginning to have a new perspective, whether it's setting new patterns, whether it's just having the primary responsibilities, or whether it's engaging to be a family on mission. God, we are here to do this together. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's worship together. great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.